There are t- two episodes of Svengooli that are ranked 10 out of 10. I'm what? looking at a, at a chronological list of top to bottom episodes. And it like is like six people voting on that or what? 27. <laughs> King Kong versus Godzilla, season 20, oh. episode two, aired February 7th, 2014. I have a hard time believing that a modern Svengooli is a good one. Well, how old is Svengooli? He's ageless. How old as the stars. Well, I mean, like, how long has that show been coming out? Um, I guess took, if 14 according to the, the back matter in this comic book, he took over from the original Sven Gulli in uh, the mid 70s, I think. Because at first he was called the son of Sven Gulli until the original Sven Gulli said, Hey, I'm retiring. You're just Sven Gulli now. Wow. Wow. God, I want to watch Sven Gulli. Just seems like a great thing to have on in the background while you kind of try to stay awake and slowly fall asleep at night when you live alone. Yeah, I fell asleep to a lot of Svengoolies. And it'll be a cross-generational comics place bonding thing, because Jace, Jason used to yeah, love it. Yeah, I remember that. Him and I would talk about the latest episode if we both happened to watch it, which usually did happen. Yeah, <laughs> what episode, or what night of the week was it usually on? It was on Saturday nights, I think okay. from 8 to 10 or something, or 9 to 10, something like that. What a weird thing. And it was on like local Bellingham TV? It, it was on Channel 12, KBOS. What is KVOS? They used to be in that building right on Samish. Um, okay. That's well, still has the television tower there or broadcasting tower, or whatever. Like and right like, before you turn to get to uh, the burger place, right? Yeah. What a weird choice to make to put Sven Gulli on at ten, you know, eight o'clock on Saturday night. Acceptable podcast episode 322 come on down do you hear that that's the sound of you winning you've won this is like the wheel of fortune except for a podcast that you like to listen to on your app um, <laughs> <laughs> it's really nice to be here with you though this is a comic book podcast from the cradle of civilization uh mespita bellingham <laughs> um and we really love comics and uh and each other and nerd culture and get buckle your shit up because it's about to get rough and rowdy because i'm jeff uh, i'm not jeff uh-oh i'm not expect more of that for the next hour <laughs> sorry roman also expect more of me talking over roman <laughs> i'm not Django or jeff oh he's mr peanut our guest this mr. week peanut, is mr, mr. peanut, peanut. So, Mr. Hi, Peanut, kids. I'm a question. I'm a question, man. Yeah. Yeah. Can you see out of your non-monocled eye? Well, kind of. There's a computer screen on the, the you know, the inside of the. the so you the, have a digital head. lens. Yeah. On a the HUD, one that doesn't. A peanut HUD. Yeah. I'm curious. Why did you choose to use a monocle on one eye and not just double HUD? Because a monocle is, is more classy. It's okay. de- it's, it's deboner. Ew. So can I ask a question? The, yeah. Like discounting your pronunciation of, of an important French word. Can you tell us what it's it was like being, bouche. <laughs> being born? What was it like being born in the dirt? Dusty. I have one also. D- Dusty? Okay. Dusty. I, I have a question. Since you are an adult male shelled nut, at what point <laughs> do you discard your husk? And, and, and uh, like, is that what death is? Are you then return to the ground as unshelled peanuts jesus jeff i try not to think about that <laughs> i putting that off as long as i can 
<laughs> well, in the interest of distracting you, here's an email or voicemail from our good friend, William Elmer. Happy episode 322. Yes, last week was 321. The last time I made a, a joke about the episode number, uh, episode 311, and said that amber was the color of your energy, you guys had already made that joke like six times before my um, my recording uh, voice message was played. So I felt silly. So I thought maybe I wouldn't do it because I thought it was obvious and you guys would do it. Or I'm just making that up. Um, anyway, my question this week, just listening to you guys kind of talk about night terrors, is around events. And we've talked about events. I've heard you guys talk about events before. But like it kind of feels like events are this weird necessary evil. And if the event itself is just like a six-issue series – it doesn't feel big enough in scope and scale. It doesn't feel world affecting. And so it kind of feels minimized and unimportant. But if the event has all these tie-in issues, then it feels cumbersome and overwhelming and unnecessary and like a cash grab to sell a lot of issues. So what's the scoop? What's the right way to do it? Should there be a few tie-in issues? Uh, which one would you rather have? Lots of tie-in issues that people have, don't have to buy? What makes it feel like it's a big scope? and scale or just like a four to six issue event series and i don't know all other comics stop for that month so everybody just has to focus on that let me know your guys thoughts turn up love you guys awesome love you too will that's turn a really a good question and interesting that's, awesome. that's a good tech question uh events um necessary evil i do think that that is true because while they can feel like a cash grab at times i think that it brings it's like an opportunity to bring all of a line together in a moment mm -hmm. and kind of like reconfigure continuity in a way, which I think can be beneficial. Um, I, I'm going to say my favorite event comic is final crisis, but not necessarily the execution of its distribution. So what yeah, events have worked one. well? Like <clears throat> what, what have I mean, the gold well? standard is kind of civil war, right? And because it was the biggest one ever and kind of the first line wide one, but no it, it wasn't the first line wide one invasion was well yeah line -wide. And like, like armageddon and 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 it, all those yeah ones. but like or legends after crisis on infinite yeah Earths. okay Crisis on infinite earth was one yeah you're right you're right you're right you're right it was the most financial money they had ever made though yeah and yeah they, it was it was an important one and they created a bunch of new series that were simultaneously going on parallel to it Mm -hmm. which i think influence how they, anyway i guess does does that one feel like the best executed one to you guys does it is the gold standard is it is it i thought it was pretty well done like the 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 i guess i didn't read every single thing from it but i feel like the spin-off series that came out with it were pretty cohesive and not all of them were totally necessary and they were pretty good stories on their own Mm -hmm. Um, and then there were certain issues that crossed over that felt like they were super important to read. I don't know. For me, I, I think there's two ways to look at it. There's like a story way to look at this and also kind of a marketing way. Mm -hmm. Um, and as a fan, I as think a I would, family, I think we could say as, we're a as a, as a family, yeah, as a family, I think I would rather see, um, the individual issues push people to read the crossover rather than the crossover forcing people to read the issues if that makes sense it does because as you were talking 
for so long. Yeah, that's uh, me. Sounds <laughs> right. No, it was just trading roles. Um, I think my favorite event is Blackest Night in terms of like its mm. execution and stuff. <clears throat> and in reality, it did exactly what you just described, which was Green Lantern was like one of the biggest books at Green or at DC at that point while Jeff Johns was writing it. And the way that Blackest Night even functioned was like it alternated issues with Green Lantern or else you kind of missed a lot of stuff. So it propelled people into that main series if they were reading that series. But then all of the tie-ins were like short mini series that weren't necessarily in every series. But then there were series that did like, you know, Grant Morrison's Batman and Robin issue like eight was a Blackest Night tie-in, like seven and eight, mm-hmm. even though they didn't have anything to do with it. So like there was some mandate. Anyway, that that's... I like I liked that, but I think it like kind of speaks to what you were saying. The, the quality of the book made me want to then read all the other tie-ins. And then I'll also throw in, I feel like everyone getting into comics has a lot of fun with their first event, whatever one it mm-hmm. is. Like it's a fun thing until you become jaded, which happens pretty quick because they milk you while you're doing it. But um, you know, like Black Knight was the first one I was like really following that was a giant event. Roman, how do you feel about events? You've seen them all. Except for the ones all before Civil War. His first event was Kirby is coming. Mm. <laughs> Those crazy monsters. Um, I feel as you both do. Cop um, out. <laughs> yeah, Cop and you're out. right. You're right. Blackest Night. That was uh, story wise. That was the best big crossover they had. I think. Yeah. Um, so good. It's it's yeah. It's the big. It's the one that sticks out in my brain as being almost all good. Yeah, because um, most of them crossovers, you know, yeah, I don't read every every issue, and they don't, and and the ones that don't affect the actually monthly monthly title that don't even tie in, it's you know, why bother doing those? I, that kind of annoys me. But it is interesting. I consider things like Future State, Night Terrors, and Conversion, Convergence, Convergence, yeah. um, almost not events as more like band aids, like a thing that they do because, you know, like they did one because they were moving the offices from the East coast to the West coast. I don't, you know, like there was another, like there's like DC will have these things where they need these two month bandages, like every two years or something. Um, And, you know, they make an event, but like it, it feels to me like, and a thing that is happening as a byproduct of a break rather than stories building to, cause this thing yeah so like blackest night civil war infinite crisis all those were things that had been seeded and led up to and made very logical sense whereas these ones are kind of stopgap things so i don't necessarily consider these events as much as like events you know i think part of the the troubling thing for us is that the publishers aren't super clear about which issues are going to be key to the story Mm -hmm. because they're trying to get us to boost our orders on every single issue that is in the crossover. Mm -hmm. And sometimes like, what was it with uh, dark Knight's metal? There was like the first appearance of the flash Batman or whatever. And that kind of blindsided us. And then, then our customers couldn't get a full story and it, it made everything a lot harder. And uh, so just the, the support, support from the the lack of support from the publishers to let us get our customers as much of the stories as possible in an efficient way is is pretty bothersome and probably why we sort of start at a baseline of uh it's another crossover when we should start at a baseline of maybe this one will be great like some of the other ones we've read yeah i i I often get excited about them far away if they seem like something that's, you know, like I'm pretty excited about Ultimate Invasion. I'm quite excited about that Gods mm-hmm. one that Hickman is doing. Like, you know, I, I get excited about them. 
There was a big yeah. DC one not long ago I was excited about. I get I've been excited about Rebirth, which is not necessarily an event, it's more of a mm. branding. Sorry, Roman. I get I get um I'm too jaded because yeah, like maybe the the um the gods Jonathan Hickman one, I haven't even read about you know what that's gonna be, but I'm you're gonna love it. Excited about it just because it's Jonathan Hickman. Um but other stuff that as it's announced and comes up, you know, like the the uh, what's this latest thing? The nightmare one, the insomnia, night terrors. Yeah. Night terrors. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I've been. Ex- I'm not excited about that. There's certain issues like Mark Wade Shazam issue. I'm like, okay, cool, but that's because I love Mark Wade Shazam. It has nothing to do with the crossover. Easy to be jaded when you're Roman and you were there when Kirby came. Um, yeah. Roman round who's Robbie. This little, who's this little upstart Kirby from Brooklyn? Think he is. Uh, this week Roman is the one who gets to select which book we talk about first. Oh my god. Um. But you can't. Never mind. Well, I can't. What can I do? I was just going to be shitty, and I decided not to be. So, wow, you're welcome. I hope oh, there's on. more of that in the future. Stay, stay on brand. <laughs> oh my gosh! Let's 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 start out big. Let's start out big. Yeah. Fish flies number one. Yeah. Fish flies. A great decision. Image Comics. Jeff Lemire, written and art. Uh, lettering and design by Steve Wands, and he is magical. Um, and Madrigal. We got ourselves a new <laughs> Jeff Lemire book, and that's exciting because he puts a lot of new books out, but he doesn't always do the art and writing in them. And I feel like anytime he does both of those things, it's generally something special. It's like straight out of his brain and into your eyes. Yeah. Yeah. And the, his uh, back matter here is write up. It's interesting that it's this is like a he describes it as he did this first on his Substack. Um, but then he kind of revisited it. And so the Substack issues of fish flies ended up being kind of the rough draft of this now physical fish flies. Which I liked hearing. I liked his write up a lot for a variety of reasons, but even just him kind of talking about seemingly kind of disappointingly being sold on Substack by Nick Spencer mm-hmm. and having a ton of money thrown at him. And I like that this book came out and isn't just a reprinting of that Substack stuff or the yeah. way that like the Scott Snyder dark or IDW stuff has been just kind of like reprintings of comicsology things like this is actually a revised version of what essentially was a draft on Substack. So I think that incentivizes being on Substack and then also incentivizes getting the physical copy um, when it comes out, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, me too. Though it's interesting. I took it a kind of a different um, interpretation of that because I was like, Oh, cool. Well, this is why I don't ever have to do Substack because they're just going to produce, put it out better. physically and maybe better later. Yeah. So I'll just wait for that. For I mean, sure. yeah, generally that's been a pattern. And and I I totally agree. But I like if it were a Hickman <clears throat> thing, I would want to see the rough drafts and I'd want to yeah. see the final drafts. like Or a Bob yeah. Dylan thing. Yeah, exactly. Are you on Dylan Substack? <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, sorry, let me, let me I gotta Google. go, guys. I gotta go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gems. Um, yeah and then Django, you got a sad kid in this book boy or girl what do you think a little girl okay i think it's i think it's a little girl with uh with a cold or allergies yeah. probably allergies she's probably allergic to fish flies um and yeah, she's who wouldn't be Ugh. yeah she's yeah, hanging out gross. with gross yeah dude yeah i i don't know exactly what's happening in this book but i sure do like the mystery that they've set up like is this guy in a time loop? Is this guy the kid? Is uh like yeah, whatever yeah. whatever's going on, I I'm interested. Yeah, the way it kept tricking me because yeah, I thought it was a time loop. I thought that was what I didn't realize that her name was Fran. I thought oh, this must be time loop, and that guy is the kid grown up. And no, 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 
Oh, yeah. It's such a great opening scene that is just kind of a cold open, considering it's just a, you know, like you meet all these characters and you're with them for many pages. And then, you know, one of them gets killed and then enter the story that we're actually telling. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it is it is a cool mystery. We have basically a little girl who lives with an abusive father and uh, lives in a town that's covered in fish flies, which happens certain places and is totally disgusting. And uh, she comes across this kind of like old haggard homeless semen guy who just killed a kid and is hiding on her property. And she kind of befriends him and tries to take care of him. And then when she goes to check on him, he's turned into a giant fly. Dude, the shot of him covered in flies and running into the barn is pretty horrific. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I, I, I mean, should we just? Because I didn't know. Yeah, spoilers. Spoilers, everybody. We spoil things. Oh, I'm not. I'm not gonna. Spoil oh, sorry. I was just gonna say that I didn't know. If, you know, these fish flies were a real thing. Apparently, off you know some of the Great Lakes, um, seasonally these and they're the size of dragonflies. It looks like, and they just they just swarm all over everything so much so that like you're walking across pavement and crunching all these flies, and they're all over the place and all over buildings, and and they. They're, they call them that because they smell like fish. Yeah. And that's just disgusting. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't be able to live in a town that had that happen. Yeah. We had yeah a, you have to move. We had a summer like that when I lived in Fort Collins with uh, moths. We would walk up to uh, my buddy's garage and bang on the door once. And it'd just be like this cloud of moths would come out. And you'd wait three minutes and do it again. And it would happen again. It's pretty awesome. Oh. Little moth shits all over your everything. Jingo, none wow. of the things that you just said were awesome. Hmm. <laughs> I guess uh, I guess you don't know what awesome means, Jeffrey. Well, yeah. now I'm all curious. It, yeah, are moth, moth shits? Is that like quail yeah, in a cave? I mean, how how much moth shit do you have to have before before you notice it? Well, Bumble you notice it on like curtains. There, it's just like little brown stripes on the curtain because the moths will get stuck between the curtain and the and the window. And I've always just shit. like thought of that as like a powder. Is that actually shit? The powder is their uh, is on their wings. It's like their their little scales. If you rub that off, they can't fly anymore, and they usually die. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow, I didn't know that. I think Science. this this is probably the first. What is this? A sixty four page comic, probably that mm-hmm. Jeff and Roman and I have all read the back matter on. Nice. <laughs> that says yeah. something. Wow. R- Roman converted me. I most of the time, if it's there, I'll read it now. Nice. Okay. I'm usually looking for the next uh, next comic. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, if it's Jeff Lemire, you're going to read it. And this was almost just like an intimidatingly, like, this is two full pages of text. So I, it was like a challenge. Yeah. Uh, sad kid walking around, not in snow, but uh, with a bunch of dead flies around. I like the recurring motif of the scrunch, you know, the crunch of the dead bugs underneath yeah. the feet. Do you think that, just... that was the, the like, the black crunch pages? I think those were chapter breaks on Substack. <clears throat> oh, that totally makes sense. Cool. Because the the first time it happens, it seems like a really logical like part of the story, mm-hmm. you know, because it's crunch and then it happens. And but now that you mention that, uh, you're probably right. I loved it. I loved it. I would I would give it a nine point five. I gave it a nine point five. Also, no, Jeff, we're I on also, the same wavelength. Well, 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 buckle your seatbelts. I also loved it, and would also give it a nine point five. Whoa, these seatbelts. It's good thing I'm wearing this seatbelt because that b- b- barrel roll almost tossed me out of my seat. <laughs> Is that a wow. wrestling thing? No, it's like a roller coaster thing. You ever had I like fun? It. You ever been scared? You ever been thrilled? never had fun? Never had a th- thrill ride? Thrill seeker? <laughs> no, no. Nope. You're not somebody who likes to get in the car and ride around fast. No, I, I get my thrills in a different way, Jeffrey. I had a dream last night that uh, my Achilles tendon was cut Ew. laterally. God. 
and vertically, and I inside my Achilles, and I could see the like tendons just cut there. Not cool. Oh man, yeah, not cool. So that was a really good way to start, Roman. Can I invite okay. you to have a discourse with me about a book that I think that you also liked a lot? Oh, and every any time and every time, yes. <laughs> You Randy little, you Randy little <laughs> feather feather eater, you. Yeah, I want to talk about Mark Wade's World's Finest Teen Titans number one. Oh, I didn't read that. I what? read this. Yes, book. kidding. Of course, it's the first book I read. Yeah, <clears throat> it was the first book I read as well, and I fucking loved it. And I'll tell you what I loved so much about it, Roman. Uh-huh. It feels to me like very often when you get a new number one or a new creator coming on a book, there's this real kind of emphasis to like set a new tone or like very expositional. Like here's the beginning of this run. Here's some inciting incident. Like it nowadays, whether it's an actual number one or a writer coming on a series, like there's this very like kind of change in the flow or or something, um, you know, because they're aware that like, all right, well, this is going to be volume one of my run. This is where you'll start. And what I adored about this is that it reminded me much more of like classic comics where it felt like I was just picking up an issue of Teen Titans or something mm-hmm. in the middle of a run. It reminded me of like starting to get into DC comics as an adult um, because you're getting like bits of character information, but like you're just dropping in on the middle of this like, you know, crusade thing. And it's not. But it's also not like, well, yeah, and this was the first attack of this thing that's going to lead to these other events. It was just like, hey, man, like it just reminded me of any like Justice League or Teen Titans comic I read in the first like three or four years of kind of reading comics as an adult again before I worked at the shop. And I really like that kind of like just sort of like seamlessly dipping into the story and not feeling like, you know, there's very little inertia. There's not like we're starting this now. It's just like. I don't know. It was a seamless transition, which makes a ton of sense because it's Mark Wade and he's really been firing on all cylinders since since, you know, the little hiccups, at the beginning of his DC tenure. So I thought this was fantastic from just like a superhero perspective. Yeah, well, it was so much fun. And I love like like you indicated there. I love the fact that it's kind of a spinoff of his world's finest title. But, you know, they don't over they don't explain that or anything. It's just that these characters at this age have appeared in that title and this is you know world's finest teen titans but they don't belabor the point it's just letting you quickly know okay these are the you know the original teen titans plus mm-hmm. bumblebee um and you're getting like and, young and, wally in here which yeah is nice. yeah and here we go <laughs> yeah and it's not like super interested in being mired in continuity like it's just like yeah you everyone's aware for the most part of a general lineup of the teen titans and this is kind of your general teen titan story it just feels like here's a teen titan story yeah lots of i mean i i love it launches right into they're on a cliffside and fighting a cult and it's very i don't know kind of scooby-doo-ish and and just fun it quickly introduces everybody and there's even an army i think it's an army hammer joke because <laughs> cannibal the, thing the octopus that oh is that that's right his thing was can't well i don't know the octopus that shows up Aqualad's like, oh, his name's Army. And I was like, is that Army Hammer? Because he's grasping and tentacly and suctions on. I don't know. He's got eight arms. Eating people's bodies. Um, I also think it's really interesting. You've got Roy in here on the Teen Titans, um, who is speedy. And like, it's before his drug abuse stuff, presumably. I guess I don't really know what happened to him after that. He's an arsenal and stuff. Well, presumably, though, I, I wondered, there was some dialogue in here that made me think, I wonder if this is like kind of roughly right when he's starting um 
to use drugs or something. I forget what it yeah, was. Yeah, well, there was the kind that. of the bits about him like really wanting Ollie to be more present in his life and he's not, which to me yeah. kind of like foreshadowed reasons for drug abuse. Yeah, um, yeah. But I could also see there being moments where he was alluding back to it, but I kind of interpreted it as foreshadowing to it and just kind of thought it was interesting. There's always those characters like, you know, Hank Pym or him who have done something really bad and no one will forget about it. So everything kind of exists around it. You know, mm-hmm. like if this isn't him being a heroin addict, it's there's got to be the seeds that allude to that. Or, you know, it's that that's that's an interesting bit to me. I was like, oh, yeah, Speedy is kind of in that Hank Pym category. Yeah. Yeah. I like that too. And I, I'm curious to see what, uh, what Wade will do, you know, with that in that direction. Cause yeah, it's a, such a part of, of Roy's history. You know, you can't just ignore it. Hank Pym was the slapper, right? That wasn't Scott Lang. Yeah, that was yeah. Hank Pym. Okay. Okay. Django, is that issue worth, is that an, a valuable issue? Boy, I don't know. I, I can't imagine that it's not some amount of a key because it's such a, like a, such a seminal moment in comics history, but I couldn't tell you what series it would probably Avengers, but like no idea what number it was. Yeah. It was Avengers 213. Um, and I'll bet that that's, oh, wow. That, that was later than I expected. It's got the, yeah, you would know that cover. It's got the, it's the court martial of yellow jacket. Huh. Any value? Is it just uh, your cover price still? Uh, let's see here. Well, I'm looking at Go Collect. Who knows how how accurate that is? But it is uh not worth a ton. Interesting. Yeah, I think yeah. that's interesting. I'd like a copy of that. All right, all right. I think we probably have a really low grade one right now. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I want it. That's a little bit of comics history, and I'm just a big fan of abusers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> abuse. Shm abuse is what I. Always that was. Say. Uh, that was some gallows humor everyone i am not a fan of abusers no <laughs> one with a conscience is and i don't mean to make light of that horrible state of things i gave this issue a very high score Django, do you plan to read it or it's a team book you're probably not going to i don't like the teen titans very much jeff i'm gonna i'm gonna take a pass on this but one. you are reading tight am i yeah i like the art in that one a whole lot see i'm confused about it because after issue one i didn't think you were reading it and then issue two you're like i'm definitely reading it well, i like the mystery on that one and i like the art um now you're saying you don't? You don't oh, like on, on that one? No, I, I like Titans is a really hard sell, and Mark Wade hasn't impressed me in ten years. So <gasps> I can't, I can't keep up with you, Django Boy. I dropped off like when, when, when he put me to sleep reading the Devil Neza seventeen issues in a row or whatever the fuck that was. <laughs> yeah, like, sure. nah, he's he's going somewhere I don't need. What what was your score on that? Uh, I gave that one a nine, but I could even go nine point five. What's let me do see it, what Roman's do gonna it. do. Oh man, I don't know. Smart I'll go nine point five. I'll go nine point five. I really it, it was the most fun comic I read this week for sure. I'll go nine point five because there was a couple scenes where I didn't like the art, but I like so much in it. Django, you might like in this that uh, Speedy Roy Harper is um, live streaming and their uh, battles that kind of stuff, and it really pisses off Robin because he's like, "No, you should focus on the the battle," and just had some commentary in there that you might dig. Oh, yeah, you should it's... focus on the battle and not show the bad guys your fighting styles, dumbass. And <laughs> it's interesting because in that moment, uh, this kind of locks in the time frame. It's before the Teen Titans knows that Dick Grayson is Robin. Um, oh, back yeah. when yeah. cell phones were pretty new. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that was one of the strong instances of the sliding time scale of things. Yeah. 
Yeah, I like that too. That because Bat because <clears throat> Batman was like, no, you can't tell me your identity. But they've all told Robin theirs, and they're yeah. all like, hey, come on, dude. Yeah, that's a fun little bit of character drama for for there to be in there. So, yeah, I could not recommend this highly enough to people who love DC Comics. This this is um, what I this is the kind of thing I was hoping for when Mark Wade was announced as coming back to DC. Kind of wish that I had read Teen Titans when I was first getting into comics because by the it, Wolfman. Yeah, it just feels like one of those series that. I should probably have yeah. glommed on to, but at, at this point, like, I don't know the characters. I don't know their history together. It's a hard, it's, it's a hard thing. No, because the title is teen Titans. But I, as I understand it, that whole run was quite a bit more adult than a title teen Titans would have implied. Like, it seems like it's shooting for a demographic that's below me, but like, you've got all the like crazy death stroke and like having sex with minors and betraying the Titans and all that shit going on. Like, yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Who knows? There yeah. you go. Huh? Take me away. Oh, send you away. Take take me away. It's a song. I'll take you away. Um, did you guys read Sirens of the City number one? I did. Roman, did uh, you read that? Yeah, yeah, I did. Let's let's talk about that one. Um, Boom Studios, yeah, yeah, by jo- Joni Starrer and Carrie Randolph on art. I feel like I know Carrie Randolph from somewhere, and I can't. Yeah, quite I'll look it up. Place and get right. Um, but this follows a a young lady in the big city who is uh she's got some sort of power to tell people to do things like she's going past the abortion clinic one day and she tells a guy to go jump in front of a bus and he does it so she's got like the preacher power uh and we see her why she got kicked out of the house which is that she blew up the back side of her parents house and uh she's kind of getting embroiled in this sort of underground gang situation with uh like gargoyles versus vampires versus we, we don't really know exactly what yet um but i thought the art was good i thought the coloring was really interesting and if i had a criticism it would be that the the dialogue didn't really help you follow who had what motivation at any given point but i thought it was really cool yeah roman what'd you think of this one i i did really like the coloring um I like big pieces of it. I can't figure out what, I guess it was the kind of the problem with the dialogue that took me out of a few times. In fact, I I actually fell asleep one night reading this and had to continue it the next day. Mm. Um, I like her and I like the, I Mm -hmm. like incidences that happen. And I like that first manifestation of her power. I like the mystery. Um, Ooh, I like that last last panel too. I'm glad there's a supernatural mystery going on because, because it's halfway through the book. I was like, "Eh, I don't know. And the twin towers are in the, final panel oh yeah, yeah. It's set in the 80s i think okay yeah 80s. i i also liked it much more than i thought i was going to um i think the art was pretty good i, I like you guys said i like the coloring stuff i particularly like just sort of the subtlety of the color stuff in her hair um i yeah i think she was a great character i liked the character designs across the board um if you were to say like hey it's a little it's kind of like sirens and powers and demons and stuff like i would that doesn't seem like a sell for me yeah but i enjoyed reading the entire thing i was pretty surprised by it and and yeah i think it speaks to the writer that like that the main character was as likable as she was Mm -hmm. Um, i think they did a really good job of that carrie randolph um not actually much stuff did a little bit of the ben riley scarlet spider run from 2018 has been working on an image book called tech jacket for a long time did some of the art in robin war and we are robins Um, i I think the reason i know their name is they did a b cover for jughead 
when I first started working at the store. Like that's the only thing on this list that I found that jumped out at me is uh, a combination that I recognize, which is a weird thing to have stick in your head. <laughs> uh, why did that Jughead cover stand out to you? I don't even know what the cover was. I just know that name being associated with that series. Um, I think I think the art in here is really good, but I feel like it's a little uneven as far as telling you when something is chaotic and when something is kind of chill. Um, and I can't really put my finger on it, but it's almost like if, if a director uses a lot of canted angles in a movie or a TV show or like, uh, like, uh, Michael Bay always has the camera like swooping around people with, with stationary backgrounds. And it takes, it takes that tool to indicate that this is something that should be stressful and removes it from your tool belt. And I feel like this, that there's something like that happening in here for me. Yeah, there's a lot of unfinished backgrounds. And there are some backgrounds that are really well finished, but there is like a lot of artwork attention is being paid to the foreground. Um, yeah. And either there is background work or really very minimal at all, which I think and is a lot of details. Like yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I gave it a, a pretty dang good store score. It was an 8.5 for this old bean. That's me too. Nice. I'll give it a um, six. No, 7.5. Nice. Roman's read more comics than us. Do you think we're wrong, Jeff? No, he just, no, he just knows more though. Um, 1987. It's the year I graduated high school. Django, can I hear another book from your stack because i'm looking through my stack and i can foresee a fair amount of overlap with roman but i'm not sure that i have a ton with you yeah i um, also you guys i did i'm officially everyone i want you all to know i'm not happy about it i'm not proud of it i sent out sat down to remedy it today and then i went to dinner with my lovely beau your beau, roommate my roommate um but uh, i am i am two issues behind on danger street so if you guys want to talk about that, uh, I, I don't think boy. we talked about the previous episode. And uh, and that's right. I just referred to a comic as an episode. But I feel like there's some uh, leeway in the vernacular to be able to refer to issues as episodes because they maybe are, but not the other way around. Django just gesticulated about the Rocketeer. Tell me Did about you read that. the Rocketeer? No. Jeff, you love the Rocketeer. The I know. I didn't read the Zero issue either because I didn't love the last miniseries that had come out, like the race one. That Zero um, issue was just a three-part anthology yeah and one of them was adam hughes and i'm really bummed yeah. and i don't think we have any more and i really want to read it uh this one is not adam hughes it's the rocketeer the day in the I, den of I thieves flipped through number it. one i flipped through it because if there was adam hughes in it i was not going to let that happen again yeah stephen mooney and david messina it's fine the rocketeer is always fine <laughs> this one has more nazi rocketeers which is pretty rad because Ooh, show me those do they have cool costumes I mean, they're they're the Nazi Rocketeer, tears. but with uh, with like Nazi black. trench coats. Yeah, and shit. Like, that's a good costume. That's a good yeah. fucking costume. Yeah, like you take the best superhero costume and the best villains real life costume and mash them up, and you got you got some scary looking bad guys there. You got some scary looking bad yeah. guys there. Say so um, what you will about Nazis, but they always look sharp. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, the, these stories are never great. I took a drink of my beer and, and choked on it before I had the chance to respond to Django's comment of they always look great with Zeke Heil instead of oh, Anne Howe. Anne Howe. Zeke Heil. 
Um, but again, that's more work from me this week getting us in trouble. So maybe it's best that I do it. Sweet. Real subtle, sweet. Jeff. Our list, our listener number is going to go up with all them Proud Boys tuning in. Oh, I can't wait. They're going to be so I'm excited. Very, I'm very anti-Nazi. Very anti-Nazi. <laughs> Except their trench coats look they dress really evil. so well. <laughs> I think Andrew might have cut some of this kind of stuff out from our Indiana Jones review, too. Anyway, um, yeah, other other than like the the Nazis wearing these helmets and having the jetpacks, I don't remember much about the book. There's a really nice uh, Betty Page pinup in there and the art on the cover is spectacular. The art on the next cover is spectacular. And th- those are uh, uh what's his name? Gabriel Rodriguez, is that right? Um who did Lock and Key, which Ooh, I really enjoyed. Oh, yeah, that's a that's a Django series. Yeah. And his his art just you know, this this one just has a really good kind of uh, line, Michael Kaluta yeah. line quality to it and yeah. cross hatching to it. And that's that's some of my favorite stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I can't really say this is an amazing comic, but if you want a five dollar distraction from your life and you like awesome costumes who I played bass for in high school. Uh, I would uh, recommend the Rocketeer Den of Thieves. Did did you read it? Ironically, Robert? that band just wore normal clothes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I read it. Um, and yeah, same. I you know, unfortunately, I don't expect too much about a Rocketeer store miniseries anymore because they are pretty much just okay. I mean, his helmet is awesome. His jetpack is awesome. Um, Especially in the movie. Yeah, yeah. There was you know, there's it's it's funny you mentioned that Betty Page pinup page because yeah that's a great page but it annoyed me that the page before it cliff knocks on her dressing room door and she says coming but then rather than opening the door you turn the page and she's sitting there so why'd she say coming but i think because he been just a lot of jack door. kirby yeah 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 it's funny and too in this i don't remember this in previous issues but in this issue i thought man cliff's kind of a jerk oh <laughs> um, yeah I mean, I liked I like pv and everybody else and that awesome snub nose plane they have but i kind of thought boy cliff's dumb and he's kind of an insensitive jerk why is she why is betty interested in him <laughs> he certainly has never deserved her yeah yeah yes talking about me no just talking <laughs> about men deserving women you know oh, you get it i don't deserve mine welcome back mine. boy the next Your issue roommate? cover is awesome yeah. on the topic yeah. of issue covers i'm gonna be honest guys i love jorge fornes i did not like the cover of danger street issue number seven and i think that's why i fell behind sorry number six the, the, the cereal, cereal one? box yeah yeah cereal is one of my favorite things but that was just so off tone what do you think of the cover of this new one love it incredible gorgeous i was excited to talk to you about this one because it's one of the wordier comics that i've read in a while and it's uh it pulls you through but halfway through i was like man i've been reading this for a long time and i don't mind um there's a there's a couple of really wonderful scenes there's a there's a shot in an elevator where this woman tells us the secrets of her life and there's uh some fun stuff with the dingbats of danger street i'm i'm looking forward to you reading this jeff i'm gonna read it i'm gonna read it i'm gonna read it i'm gonna read both of them i was excited to sit down and have two issues of it to read consecutively but uh had like i said had dinner and you'll find out i read a little something else this week i'm going to talk about uh, oh that took a little time well i'm going to give that rocketeer a seven um i'm going to give that rocketeer yeah seven sure i'm going to give the danger street a nine I concur. Give it a nine. One of the things I liked, I mean, there's so much I, I liked about it. And one of the things that first it ticked me off, but then I, I laughed, maybe I liked it. It's called book seven, the creeper. And 
the actual creeper only appears on one panel on the last page in the shadows. In the shadows, yeah. They, they did <laughs> but that. There, but there are some great Jack Ryder um, dialogue scenes. Yeah, each issue is named after one of the 12 people. And an earlier issue didn't have the title name at all oh. in it. I can't remember which one it was, but. Yeah, I'm sure we could find a thematic reason that the, the issue got named. Yeah. Oh, I guess it's just because it's like first issue special featuring so-and-so. Yep. Yep. So, Jeff. Yeah. Talk about a comic I didn't read. Oh, well, there's a handful. There's a handful. But one thing I want to mention, and I didn't finish it, but I'm a good halfway through it. But I did read a good chunk of this paperback Arca that came out from Image Comic. No, IDW. Wow, that's surprising to me. Um, Written by Van Jensen with art by Jesse Lonergan. And Jesse Lonergan did the art in that book, Hedra, that came out like three years ago. It was like a like oversized oh, comic yeah. that was mostly silent. It was kind of about like the reconstitution of a planet um, after nuclear war and stuff. But it was like largely silent. And it was just some of the most interesting panel stuff we'd ever seen. Um, yeah. And not like J.H. Williams III, like watery, like all over the place panels, but like lots of like micro panels and really interesting panel divisions. And then the way that certain panels aligned with each other and others did not. Um, and while flipping through this at first, none of that. Well, I didn't see much of that panel stuff in here and kind of at a real casual look. I was a little less excited about his art. But once I started reading it, the art is so good. It's so good. Nice. It's it, there's almost some like artsy uh like boom qualities to it with also like a little bit of like the dude who did ghost tree um michael gain and then also at times simon gain uh rafael grampa um huh. without the detail but just in terms of like the body structure anyway i'm really enjoying the art the story is also pretty good it's a little bit like um like the giver or like 1984-esque like it takes place on this space station, like large spaceship that left Earth, Earth after Earth had become in, uninhabitable. And it was funded by these people. There's a giant chart at the beginning, so you know I love that. These people um, that are referred to as the citizens, which are sort of like the high tier like civilization in this space station. And then there's like the helpers, but then there's like settlers, which are people who are up to the age of 18. And they do kind of like all this grunt work. And then once you turn 18, you become a citizen. But um, there's more and more weird, creepy shit that we're learning that is like... You know, like, are they killing people when they turn 18 and these like the citizens who funded this because they're traveling to this planet called Eden so that they can repopulate. Um, But like my prediction about halfway through is that like the citizens built this ship and maybe Earth is not even uninhabitable, but like they have their own society where they've gotten these children who now do all of the work for them and they're kind of like royalty on this ship. And they're like telling people that they're going towards a brighter future that they'll never reach. Hmm. Um, but it's very cool. You follow this main girl named Effie and she's just turned 18 and it's kind of trans transitioning out of this worker class society and into what would be another thing. But she's like realizing there's a bunch of weird, creepy stiff stuff. So it's very reminiscent of like a lot of utopian and dystopian literature, or like science fiction literature of like the, 60s to 80s and stuff so yeah like there's you know little bits of fahrenheit there's little bits of brave new nice. world little bits of the giver uh and i like all of those things so I mean, i'm excited to finish it and the art is really great on top of a story that's very good will and andrew 
I know your listeners. I think this would be a very good book for book club. Mm. Calling my shot there. Love the art. Really interesting paneling. I know you do a lot of sci-fi, but it it is equal parts comics and equal parts literary feeling. Like there's a lot of novel influence, and uh, I would I would recommend it. I think it's very very good. Seems like it's gonna be standalone. Arca, IDW, Van Jensen, Jesse Lonergan. I uh, can't give it too much of a score yet because I'm not done. I'm only about halfway, like I said, but it is a kind of chunky graphic novel. Um, but so far, um, I'm definitely in the eight eight point five to nine category. Nice. Um, but I would totally understand listening to a bunch of book club people sit around and say that they didn't like it and that I'm wrong. That um, sounds could, like could, the perfect I, book for book club. I could see that world as well. You know, I'm just prepared for it. I'm just prepared <laughs> for it. I've got other books you didn't read, Django, but I want to. I bet you do. I want to get you included. I don't know if you can looking at looking at the books I read and the books I know. Tell you me about read. some of the books you read. Well, I read the Lonesome Hunters, the Wolf Child number one. Did you guys read that? No, I didn't no. finish the last mini series. But uh, did this feel like it picked up on the cliffhanger from that last one, or did it feel more like a separate story? Dude, there's no reason this should be a number one. This should be a number five. Mm-hmm. Like that. That is that is some dumbass publishing. I think. Um, Gorgeous art, is, though gorgeous art it's uh, an interesting story there's there's weird stuff happening with the crows the sword's still around the yeah it's a really well done thing it feels a little like jeff lemire man the first thing that came to mind was like jeff lemire if he ate cheese which i have no Mm. idea if jeff lemire doesn't eat cheese but this like sometimes jeff lemire books feel in a good way like a sprout sandwich yeah. Just like like kind of lighter and quicker, and this feels like there's some a little more protein to it. Um, wow, I like it. I'm uh, disgusted by how much I tracked everything that you just said. It's, like yeah, how much it makes like, sense, like, right? Oh, yeah, oh yeah. And I read the <laughs> I read the first Sprouts. three of four issues of Lonesome Hunters, uh, Volume One, and I could see the dairy in there, the protein, the curd. Like it's yeah, yeah there's a there's a heaviness to it all, a prot, yeah. if you will. Um, I I think a if I had to guess, this is going to be a 16 to 24 issue run. And I would, I would think that it's going to make a better graphic novel than single issues. Uh, but I would give this an eight. Nice. Hell yeah. Yeah. Well, I Tyler, bet we Tyler all crook. I bet we all read night terrors. Number one. Oh, you bet your bottom. Listen, we, the intro question kind of mentioned this. I think our podcast alluded to some pride, like, uh, trepidation. Prejudice trepidation was the word pride pride and trepidation prejudice is what i was thinking but trepidation is what i wanted um some trepidation (laughs) about it but i just want to go on record i'm liking this quite a bit more than i thought i would my score for it uh right out the bat i'm gonna tell you guys 7.5 no um so it's not super high but i was you know projecting like a six 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 point five so I like the art more than I thought I would. And the story is more interesting than I thought I would. And if they had told us from the outset that there was going to be so much dead man, I would have been more excited than I was. I think they did. Well, maybe they just did in the, in the PDFs that they sent us that. We yeah. Maybe the, the PDFs. I was going to say, I, I looked through all of those solicitations and there was no dead man. Um, yeah. I think I like the art in the first issue a lot more than the art in this issue. Uh, me too. The, the fucking absolutely. Um, the Batman dead man relationship feels weird to me. Cause I feel like they've teamed up before. I think we might've even talked about that last week. The first three pages are fucking gorgeous. Yeah. The, the dead man flashbacks. And, yeah, exactly. It looks like Martin Simmons who did that last issue of swan songs last week or something like it, that was great. Yeah. 
it felt a little bit like uh, uh, I actually looked at the cover to see if it was um, Ben Temple Smith. Yeah. yeah. Some of the, the painting and the, the white lines reminded me of yep, him. Totally. But after that, the art takes a quick slide downhill for me. Yeah, um, they, they did a good job of sandwiching three amazing pages at the beginning and a fantastic final two pages of art to make me feel like it was better. But I just flipped through it. I was like, oh, yeah. And actually, never mind. 80% of this is just house style. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. The bringing spoiler alert, bringing Wesley Dodds back as a resurrected Sandman is pretty rad. Who is Wesley Dodds? Do you ever see the Sandman Mystery Theater comics? OK, I've seen it. So that's who that is. Who is the name he's, that they keep mentioning in here? Maybe it's a different name. He's the Wesley Dodds is like the superhero Sandman before. Yeah, yeah, that, that's not the name I meant. John D. Roman John no, D. Uh, yeah. Is that that's like the memento yeah. shit. Like that's that was a Dr. Destiny. They killed okay. the zero issue. Okay. Also in Sandman. Um, really? He's, yeah, he's the guy in the yeah. diner who has the gem. Never. Yeah, yeah not right. Okay. Yeah, he's he's pretty important in the beginning of Sandman because he's he's kind of captured one of Sandman's baubles. And yeah. Sandman needs to get it back. That's weird that he's yeah. in main DC continuity as this kind of masked skeleton figure than he was in Sandman. I mean, Sandman one... originally was set in the DCU. It was in continuity. Okay. Yeah. What's in Vertigo? That's one of the ways they... Yeah, it's one of the ways they connected the two. Because, yeah, like Django said, it was supposed to be in DC continuity and then until they kind of split off. Hey, Django, could you uh, silence the cars outside your house, please? Um, hey, assholes! No, they're Slow not going to do it. So no, they're they're not going to do You did good. And, yeah. Uh, I'll close my door, though. No. I, I was surprised no. Wesley Dodds was brought back. He He's the... Sandman, the Golden Age Sandman that was in the Justice Society. Yeah, yeah, I, I recognized him. I was super excited to see him. Yeah, I mean, it. Django and I have talked a fair amount about it because we were in the shop on Wednesday and it was the number one, quote unquote, number one of this miniseries. But I think the art was better than I thought it was going to be or at least more interesting for some of it. And the story is more interesting. And I like Dead Man. I totally agree, Django. Like, it seems like Dead Man and Batman have got to have more of a history than this. And and I would think Batman mm-hmm. would be pretty chill with Dead Man inhabiting his body if it meant it was going to, like, you know, save the world. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But apparently, yeah. And I mentioned this last podcast, too. We, but because, yeah, they used to be at least, if not buddies, you know, Batman and, and him would team up and Batman would be like, sure, take over my body. Um but I guess since rebirth, since rebirth or whatever, we're, we're counting the latest DC continuity from, I guess, apparently not. There are three different artists on this issue. Yeah. yeah. I, I like the page, too, when it shows Batman uh, diving out of that building. I mean, that page to his landing on the next page is pretty cool. Like grabbing all the intestines to swing down on. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah that was a good page. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, like, all in all, I'm not saying it's the best thing, but... 7.5-ish. It's 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 better than I thought it was. Um I'm 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 enjoying it so far. I'm enjoying it so far. I'd give it a 7.5, but I'm gonna dock it a full half point for this being number one and not number two, because that that's dumb. That last issue was a number one. I'm gonna dock it a full half point because I don't really like the character design of this bad guy's eyes. That's a okay. <laughs> All right. We're down to six and a half for me now. Okay, because you don't like it either? I'm just kidding. I'm gonna give it a seven. I already, took, a seven I already took that character design into account. Okay. Yeah, that was smart I'm, of you. I'm gonna give it a seven because I love Dead Man and this issue is better with his voice, but it's still a little he's still a little too well spoken for the dead man that I've always known. Hashtag not Roman's dead man. Get it trending, <laughs> kids. Get <laughs> yeah, it get yeah. it on threads. <laughs> Wait, watch this, watch this. Turn me on. Dead man. 
<laughs> you like that? Yeah, I, hashtag I, turn me on dead, man. I still don't know the reference, but I've heard you guys number make it nine, times. Number nine. So book number nine in our discussion this week is going to be one that I, it was an oversized issue that I don't think Django read, but maybe he did. Uh, but I'm sure Roman did. Uh, I would like invite, I would like invite, make both of you come to party for death of fallen friend, Myth Marvel. Hey guys, enjoy that conversation. Okay. Uh, Roman, did you mourn the loss of our new friend and old friend, Ms. Marvel? No, I did not. I mean, I read it, but yeah, I oh. didn't mourn her. Oh, um, see, you didn't, you didn't like this issue. You know, I it was okay. I mean, I was a little disappointed because when I saw the three writers, I was like, wow, these are three great writers. People that I like a lot, yeah. Yeah, people I like a lot, but I read it and I was like, yeah, that's all right. Um, the first story by uh, G. Willow Wilson, I liked mainly because it... Um, give some more glimpses in, into um oh i'm sorry i now i'm gonna screw it up um islam muslim muslim is islam muslim background guys um, we're going to jail yeah because of that shit i said her, earlier yeah people and and her family and her culture um well, that was cool i thought i felt like i learned a couple things um the second story by Mark Wade, who's one of my favorite favorite writers, I did not care. Um, oh, you're champions. turning to the Django side, I see. Yes, I am. I am dealing with the champions. I mean, the stuff with God, what's her name? The Vision's daughter, um, Viv. Is that her name? Viv Vision. Mm-hmm. The stuff with her was was pretty good. Um, and the and the chapter three by Salvin and Ahmed. Ah, uh, that was okay. All of it was just okay. I'm not really more. I mean, it's such a gimmicky thing, you know, killing her off. I'm kind of just jaded and don't like that whole thing. You guys see, they already announced the return of her, written by the actress yeah. that plays her. Well, yeah. See, and it, it, yeah, I knew that's so, all this was going to be to kill so her just, off so they can make her like her TV and movie character. So I just want to jump in. So Islam is monotheistic Abrahamic, Abrahamic religion that originated in Saudi Arabia in the seventh century. A Muslim is an adherent of Islam. So Ms. Marvel is the first Muslim superhero, therefore a poor, like is Islamic as well uh, as a follower. So those two things together. Sorry, had to clarify that. I didn't know it myself. Everything Um, can be true at once. Yes, take mushrooms. You'll know it. Um, I mean, even the cover of this, I was kind of like, they didn't establish why is Spider-Man so upset? I mean, he'd be upset because, yeah, a fellow superhero and teammate died. but in his own series, when she was an intern in the lab or whatever, they had, what, five scenes together and through that whole run? And I was like, why is he so broken up on this cover? I mean, he barely knew her. Well, I think he blames himself because she died getting embroiled with the battle that was happening in his personal life. Yeah, I just think it's too melodramatic. Roman compartmentalizes it's, better than Peter Parker. It's, it's, it's pretty melodramatic. I, <laughs> um, I am less bothered by the death of Ms. Marvel than I everyone that I've talked to um, like, and it seems like people are most frustrated because she's dying with the clear something that she's going to get brought back in a different way. And that just like, doesn't bother me because that just happens all the time. And I'm just in comics. Do it. it does. Yeah. Huh. Comics. People I I should read more comics. People die. I, um, yeah. I, I actually felt bad for her family and friends in the first story. Cause like, they're so distraught because they don't know. Oh, it's superheroes. She'll be back in three months. <laughs> yeah. I, I think my main question is that like Captain America shows up in the third story and he keeps mourning the loss of Ms. Marvel. But like they made it clear in the first story that no one knows that Kamala is 
Ms. Marvel, but maybe this is just a ceremony for all the people that died, and they know Ms. Marvel died in that as well as Kamala, so it's okay for him to do that. But I was like, oh, maybe Captain America's blowing the secret, so now her family will know, which I hope the whole issue would happen. I actually liked it quite a bit. Um, I like having never read a ton of Ms. Marvel comics. Uh, I I liked this. I I liked the first issue for the insight it provided into Islam. Uh, and the characters and the deference that the family had with the people showing up. But I particularly just sort of liked the way that it taught about the way that a Muslim individual mourns the loss of somebody and like what their funeral rites are. So I liked that quite a bit. The second one, Humberto Ramos. I've famously not liked Humberto Ramos since before I worked at the comic shop, Um, but I never read much of Champions. So I don't know the voices of these characters, but I was like, man, Amadeus Cho is a dick. But I <laughs> I really actually liked that. I I thought the little story hook of like Vision's daughter was like trying to understand this and support people. But like she's a robot and couldn't ever feel it. So she like turned on her emotional processors and she experienced grief for the first time and was like incapacitated by grief. And I liked that because I thought the interesting like, the idea of somebody experiencing grief for the first time was really, really interesting. And I particularly Wait, you like, can turn that on? But yeah, you've never <laughs> you no, I don't assume you can. I'm gonna need uh, a couple yeah. days off, I think. You're gonna yeah. grief and you're gonna experience a lot of emotions when you learn what they are. So um I need names for these too. things, Jeff. I can't feel them unless I have words. I live and die by the chart by my bed. I'll make you a copy. Um <laughs> yeah, so you know, didn't like the art in it, didn't like Amadeus Cho, but I actually liked that story pretty good. I really kind of liked the flashes back to the memories that they were having of her having not read Champions. Like, you know, I liked that insight. And then the third one had some bits I liked as well, but the art was probably the roughest in that. Um, but then again, it also kind of like had some seeds in history of Kamala that I didn't know about that I kind of like and like Iron Man and stuff. So I liked that. But no, I I I liked very much this idea of Kamala's family trying to mourn her loss in a traditional way and being kind of surprised surprised by the breadth of her influence and the people showing up. Um, the third one did the thing where like a weird bad guy showed up and like then the heroes dis you know dispelled him and that was weird and unnecessary. But I guess they felt like they needed a couple <laughs> pages of action. But um, in general, I thought it was a pretty pretty emotion filled issue. Um, but I totally understand not digging it. And and I totally understand people being frustrated about the stuff around all this. And if I was a huge, huge, huge Ms. Marvel fan, maybe I would be more pissed off. Um, seems like people are pissed off at Spider-Man's comic for this happening. And I don't think that it was his yeah. comic's fault. No, it was just so clumsily done. And, yeah. I, you know, and I read all of her two series or whatever. And yeah, the whole thing is kind of ticked me off and it's interesting you said that in the last story where cap maybe slips up and maybe reveals because that was kind of confusing but now that i think about it in the in her series her parents do know that she's ms marvel they find out accidentally oh really um, yeah and i don't know if that was like reversed with magic or something but as far as i know they still knew who she was um because her dad had a whole ongoing thing where her dad didn't want her to keep doing it because he was afraid she'd get killed yeah i wonder um, if there was a thing where people forgot that she was ms marvel but there is a, yeah there is a specific line of dialogue in this where the champions are like yeah i really wish that her family knew she was ms marvel so that they could you know understand that she didn't you know like didn't die with these secrets or there was some line there maybe i misread it but do you guys think that they're gonna um reveal that she was a mutant and have the x-men bring her back and 
change her into a mutant because the um, inhuman storyline in the MCU was such a flop? I don't know. I don't think about the movies. I, mean, I can't remember. I thought <laughs> like I, I don't know thought, what's gonna happen. Yeah, I kind of thought already that she was a mutant, and the Terrigen Mist triggered her mutant gene or something and altered it slightly. I thought that's. I thought maybe they were thinking inhuman, right? And inhuman, and the Terrigen Mist triggered or, her inhuman gene. Yeah, or maybe she's a. A I mutant inhuman, I don't know. Yeah, I yeah, feel like go. she technically was an inhuman. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think started. technically. Otherwise, the yeah. Terrigen Mist shouldn't have affected her. And Did, then... uh, hmm. Somebody was telling me that, that the X-Men are resurrecting normal people now? Like, yeah. you don't have to be a mutant? Well, that was part of, like, Sins of Sinister, but they did extend that right to other people because Sinister had hidden his, like, kind of mind-controlling gene in the resurrection process so they extended it to other people okay for that alternate timeline so that kind of like all of humanity would become a sinister person i don't who's backing them up but i don't know if they uh have done it outside of that and i think within that they were they were using cerebro to back people up i feel like there was like okay yeah i I can't remember exactly what it was they were definitely doing it with people but that could have just been that alternate future can't remember that would take a lot of megabytes yeah well it's psychics Django. it would take a lot lot of of brain lobes Yeah, a lot of lobes. A lot of teraflops, if you know what I mean. A lot of Jeff lobes. Roman, before we get out of here, I'm I am curious just on your thoughts about Loki number two. Did we score Fallen Friend? Oh, I'm sorry. Right, well, yeah. I, I I said eight point five, I think. Oh, we did? Okay. Um maybe I did. Seven. Maybe I didn't. Oh, I'll say seven. You know, there's enough in it I that I did like. Yeah. And I, uh, I'm curious which... about your feelings about Loki, because this felt like a very oh. Norse heavy issue. Oh yeah, I loved I loved this issue. It's funny because yeah. I was so excited for the walt simonson what if loki issue and i thought that was just meh that was okay Mm. um but loki number two or legacy number 28 um i loved it and yeah for the reason for the reasons you said uh mythology heavy um great art too but i i love all the mythological cues it takes in it i love that loki for some reason i don't know why just because he feels like i i guess um shapeshifts into his female form again which we haven't seen him do in a while i think seen her do in a while um it was just a lot of fun a lot of cool stuff one of the dwarves is he a dwarf Re- reforges loki's cool little horned uh tiara. yeah that was a great bit yeah into a into an awesome bow um but because it's infused with loki's magic after him wearing it for centuries it blows the guy up that was awesome yeah okay i yeah i was just curious i i liked it uh quite a bit as well i liked it a little bit less than the first issue because it had a little bit less for me of like the character stuff to grab onto. And it felt like we were pretty far in the like kind of Norse mythology realm, which I like, but it doesn't, I know less about it. So um, it doesn't resonate quite as deeply, but I was, I was, my thought was that that was probably right up your alley. Cause it was, it was leaning hard into stuff that I know you're passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. I love, as, as I said last time, I love the whole thing is centered around his, his, uh, sailing ship he made out of the nails of the dead and i love yeah calls up his you know the fact that uh fenrir and and hella are his children and some of his children loki has got a lot of kids who doesn't yeah yeah what do you fuck yourself do? i got <laughs> <laughs> i give this one a 9.5 too nice i gave this one an eight but i did like it and i'm gonna yeah. keep reading it uh, and i like dan waters and i do agree with you the art is gorgeous Django, what do you want to send us out on what what message do you want to dial into people's brains man i think everybody should be reading deep cuts deep cuts who puts this out this is an image book 
and it's uh, written by Kyle Higgins and Joe Clark. This one has art by Diego Greco. It just follows like little bits of music history, and I, I don't think it's necessarily real, but it's it's fun little snapshots of the way music affects people. I think we all read the first one. Did you read that, Jeff and Roman? Nope. No. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> I uh, want to read it. It's, it sounds good, but I don't it think is that's good. something I would be interested in. <laughs> yeah, you don't really like music. Yeah, or stories about music. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. There's a lot of things in here that I think you'd actually really enjoy. <laughs> yeah, um, I believe it. That your description is like, oh yeah, that seems like right, exactly <laughs> something I should be reading. <laughs> uh, this one, this one is about like a bass player who retired at some point for some reason, and I played got, in that band. Yeah, you played in that or, band. Or, wait, I was the bass player. Fuck. <laughs> Uh, he's got a, a family and a daughter now and, and, uh, you know, he's, he's married and they're kind of stressed about money and they're both, they're working two jobs and one of them will like come home and hand off the kid, like grab the kid and the other one will go to bed. And it's just like a, like a pretty sweet story about a good dad who used to play bass and now he's kind of getting called back to do it and causes some family drama. It's, uh, he, he used to. Wait, he used to play bass in, in family drama. In bands. He used, and he used to, play to play bass, bass in bands. bands. Yeah. Um, nice. I'm getting that joke finally. Like, I, I think I'm I finally think dialing finally it in. nailing it down. Like, it's been like eight years, and I think I'm finally, yeah. like, yeah. getting you're really, it. You're really nailing it up, Jeff. Um, the first couple panels are really cool, and I want to get your, your opinion on them when you read this, Jeff, which um, I, I can see you reading three 64-page uh, historical dramas. In the the idea days, of that makes me want to. We hang out. The idea of that makes me want to throw down. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can dig it. Yeah, I, I can dig it. Um, it's yeah, I, I just, I, I think this is probably my favorite of the series so far. I didn't read number two, so it's my favorite of number one and two. Um, and there's a whole bunch of back matter in here, which is what surprises me that Roman hasn't read it. Uh, but it's got like, like a song, like, like music, oh. play a song in there. It's got, uh, you know, kind of a lot of uh, breakdowns of art and stuff in, in the back. It's it's just good. I think for, for it's it's my favorite comic I've ever read that's set in Kansas City in 1940. I'm going to give it an eight. Yeah. Kansas City 1940 has some bangers. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of them. Yeah. But that's the most banger for me. Absolutely. Django, yeah, I want to be a part of that. Well, you can be. We have them at the Comics Place in downtown Bellingham, Washington. The cradle of nerd culture. Except for number two. Did you guys read Superman Lost number five? No. Yeah. Are you are you done with it, Jeff? Yeah. Really? I'm, I'm willing to get back on, but after three, it seemed like two and three were just sort of like I'm Superman at a random planet solving a problem. And I was like, I don't know if I have like 12 issues of just like meeting people and solving a problem and taking off. That's not my favorite part, but the like emotional trauma that he's experienced and the way he and Lois are dealing with it is, is See, really that's, nice. That's what I want to read is the stuff on earth after it happened. Not necessarily what happened while he was gone. What is yeah. the balance of that been? Uh, it... Not, not what you want it to be, but, but also for reasons like the stuff that's happening on the planets is important. Yeah. And also there's a naked purple girl in it that I think you're going to enjoy. Oh, well, is that issue five? Yeah. I only got two more to read before I get a big naked purple girl. That sounds worth it. It's like if I had a criticism, it would be my criticism with pretty much everything I read of Christopher Priests. And that is that the like I don't care for their chapter breaks and 
just like the the I don't even know what what to call it. Like the structure of the story is fine, but the jump cuts from scene to scene. Hmm. It feels like Christopher Priest is staunchly against establishing shots or explaining why you're suddenly in this location or what that location is, um, which can work really well, but it doesn't work for me very well when he does it. So, well, what do you give it? Gosh, I'd give it a seven and a half. It's it's a solid comic, and and the Superman Lois stuff is is definitely worth the price of admission. Well, I got really excited while you were talking about that because I saw Roman flipping through his stuff and I saw a copy of Unstoppable Doom Patrol and I realized I would love to hear about how that book is if you guys are reading that still. Me? Yeah. No. Roman, are you though? (laughs) Oh, yeah. And How is that? Oh, it's great. And I just wanted to bring it up briefly, actually. I'm so glad you asked because the beginning, actually, this issue is just uh, each member of the Doom Patrol being psychoanalyzed by their, I guess they have a doom patrol therapist sure that we've never seen before even doom patrol has seen ted lasso <laughs> yeah and i just wanted to tell you about this because um on the first page she introduces herself and um when her metagene was activated it, she it gave her the power to her allowed my mind to ascend to another dimension one of made of pure imagination oh um, one of my favorite songs yes and and there she communes with fifth fifth dimensional entities so from Mr. Mixapitalix dimension. Yeah, I love fifth dimensional entities. And do you know that one of my favorite songs is Pure Imagination? Did you I think know I that? I did. I think I did. Okay. That, that sounds, it sounds like I had that connected to you somehow. Yeah. Um, but anyway, these entities, for some reason, are not evil, like Mr. Mixie. Um, <laughs> but they want to help her and others better understand ourselves and our purpose on the plane of existence, on this plane of existence. So uh, she channels, she's the vessel that channels these, and it gives their their names, these five brains, interdimensional brains, that helps her psychoanalyze the members of the Doom Patrol. And it's awesome. <laughs> nice. That sounds very good. I'm glad that it's going well still. Yeah. And so, you know, and it, and it goes through each member of the team that has a couple pages to uh, talk about their problems, and which is one of my favorite things about the show, is they really delve into each of the, each of the characters psyches yeah so i think you i think you dig it i i do want to i do want to check back in on it sorry yeah. i was committing to a bit and my audio was being sacrificed but i don't <laughs> i don't have a sta- i don't have a standing desk um oh, jenga's beginning his desk? workout jenga's beginning his workout for the night i'm gonna have to go for a walk boys He's, i hardly uh, left the house today jenga jenga converts his desk to a standing desk and does standing things from time to time at and, 950 when we do the podcast. <laughs> and in the middle of Roman talking, Django converted his sitting situation to a standing situation. And then I also had to close my window shades because I realized I'm only wearing underwear. And uh, when I raise my desk, it's I don't need everybody out there to see my hog. I'm only wearing underwear Family's also, but mine street. is Batman underwear. What is I yours? just saw it when you committed to your bit. Yeah, well, it's because I'm Batman. <laughs> no, or at least I'm a fan of his hog. I'm not wearing underwear. <laughs> yeah, we know. <laughs> we know, buddy. Hey, if you want to be like Will and uh, send we know us you do. content, uh, you can send us an email or a voice recording to email jeff at thecomicsplace.com. If you want to be like Roman, all you have to do is stop wearing underwear. Yeah. Free Pepper. <laughs> I hardly pep- know her. Ah. Pepper Potts? Um, pepper Potts. No. Pepper Breath. That was a Digimon reference. Uh, what I'm was- getting at. Is that we're wrapping up again. this comic book journey that we've been on together. I wish that we could do something like the iFanboys, like where we've got our email intro and then we like talk about comics and then we have like an email that we wrap the show with, you know, like a, a kind of a all the best down. shows have that. Yeah. And we are a great show who's 
listeners don't send us emails. We still like them. No, they're some of the people in the world. Kind of theoretical at this point. No interaction. We like, don't know if they're there. Friendship is this. If they had a podcast, I would send them an email. Like, yeah. I would send them an email. Don't make me send us emails. You're all going to regret it. Yeah. What if this comic... If Batman has a hog and Roman has a universe, pepper... If the DC universe was in the Marvel universe, but everyone was a banana, <laughs> what banana <laughs> would they be? What do they call dicks in the Valiant universe? Because they've oh. never said dick. Yep. These are the things that Django says <laughs> and wonders about. And I always wonder what he's thinking about. Um, That's talk a about wasted waste hours. of your time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sit from, on the couch and take a nap instead, Jeff. From your standing vantage, your light casts an upward shadow into your eyes, and it looks like you're upset, like your angry eyebrows. I mean, not, not right now. Also, I'm upset. Oh, shit. Well, everybody, thanks for hanging out. We've clearly wound this thing down. Hang out with us in the future. We'll be here next week. We're going to talk about some comics. I can't wait for the next Ultimate Invasion to come out. When is that? Uh, I'm Jeff. Yeah. I think we should button this thing across. I'm Django. I'm Roman. And there's one thing I've been wanting to figure out. Oh, no. I couldn't think of anything to do that thing. It's hard, was. isn't it? I can't do it. It's I hard. Can't do it. Mine are all turning up to down. So I blew mine on the dick joke. Like, yeah, it was good. Yeah. No one knows what we're talking we blew about. It. See y'all next week.